have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, welcome to the believer's journey again today, and I'm so glad you're joining us. Uh, Today we're going to continue with questions on the fly. Uh, Last month in October we we read a bunch of questions, but we didn't get through them all. We had about uh, six or seven more, and then we've added a few since come in uh, on our show. So I I figured we would go ahead and and finish this out, and uh, that, that way people get their questions answered and so forth. And today I have the lovely Susan Cutting with us. Say hello. Hi, everybody. It's um, so good. So we're going to call this Questions on the Fly to be, like to be or not to be. Well, this will be to be. And um, anyway, I want to welcome everybody and thank you. I really want to say thank you for joining me. I also want to encourage you to join uh, in to looking at our website. Our website has a lot of information on there. And um, we've added some books that we uh, are recommending. Um, one book I just uh, added to it uh, from Lon Ekdahl is called Do You Get It? And it's a really cool book. It has got a lot of in- illustrations on there. And then after the illustration, it gives you a good biblical principle. And um, you can click on there, and I think it goes right to Amazon, and you can order right off of Amazon. So... Um, Anyway, you'll look at those books. I, I don't get any profit out of these. These are just books that I've read, that I've looked at, that I thought and think are, are real helpful in our journey uh, with Jesus. So anyway, I think we'll get right to it. And um, before I, I go on further, I want to mention that um, if you'd like to sponsor our show, uh, we are looking for a couple more sponsors and you can go and either go onto our website. We do list you on our website. We do put a link on your uh, logo that will go to your website. And um, or if you don't have a logo, uh, I mean a website, we will have a an email. It goes to your email. And um, your you can contact me uh, any any way you can, want to, and uh, we'll be glad to uh, put you down as a sponsor if you want to give to our show. We are a uh, tax, uh, well, you can have a tax write-off with our show. Uh, it's a 501c3 um, company. So therefore, uh, if you want to give personally or if you're a business and you want to be a sponsor, we'd love to have you. And we do um, promote you, and your name will go across the banner, as you will see during the show today. Okay, so today we're going to go ahead and, and go through the questions. I think, I don't know how we may have 10 or more. So, Susan, go ahead and let's go through the questions. Okay, the first question is, because of his love for us, doesn't God spare Christians from the seven-year tribulation? Real good, quick answer, no. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You know, we have a fallacy in some of the teaching today is that, you know, because God loves us, he's not going to let us go through trials or tribulations or pain or suffering or any kind of stuff like that. That's just not biblical. That's not biblical. And I know people looking at the New Testament because we think God is all love and grace in the New Testament, maybe not so in the Old Testament. And that's not true either. God is a God of love. He is a God of holiness. He's a God of justice. And if that was a true statement that we would not go through the tribulation because of his love for us, well, let's let's go back a little bit. Um, he had love for his disciples the first gener- uh, first uh, that hundred years, and yet um, ten of his disciples went through martyr. They were, they were martyred and killed and pretty bad deaths. Even Paul was, had his head cut off and was in jail for several years. So we can't look at it as a fact that just because God is love, we won't go through problems. Um, the second answer to that, as far as going through the tribulation, the other fallacy is that we think that because of that love that the, tribu- the rapture is going to come in the first before the seven years start. Well, there's no real Bible scriptures that can identify with that. So 
it's all an interpretation. And what I always teach is you need to be true to the scripture. You have to be true to the text. And the text doesn't teach or say or you can't point anywhere. It says before the tribulation we will have the rapture. It's all interpretation. It's all what people calculate in their own ideas that brings you about when the, tribu- when the rapture is going to happen. I mean, the rapture, to some people with their scriptures, it could happen in the middle of the, of the tribulation. Now, that being said, also, the tribulation, the great tribulation, starts in the middle. The first seven years, the first three and a half years, is what they call, you know, the, the time of sorrow. Um, so it's at, it's at the last half oh, that's really bad. And you also have scriptures that, that people say it could be toward the end of the um, tribulation, which is called the wrath trib. So you have different times the Bible, you can pick out scriptures, but we got to be careful. It's not about being safe from any tribulation. It's about, am I grounded in my walk and journey with Jesus? Because let's say you believe that we're going to be raptured before the tribulation starts. And let's just say that the tribulation starts and you're not raptured. Are you going to fall away from God? Are you going to turn away? I mean, if you're not, if your hope is in the tribulation, then your hope isn't in Jesus. And your hope needs to be in that relationship. That is primary. And at that point, it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, God talks a lot about, the Bible talks a lot about God protecting and sealing those or his people during the tribulation. So we have to look at those scriptures and realize that it's not about that rapture. That rapture is going to be fine whenever it happens. But what's most important is, that are, is your relationship grounded and do you have that foundation in, in Jesus so that no matter what happens, just like in the first century, those, those disciples went through that a real terrible time. Yet their, their relationship was grounded in Jesus and the church flourished during that period of time. So, really, that's kind of the, the answer I'm going to give on that. Okay. Are we ready for the next question? I hope so. <laughs> Why do you continue living and teaching this religion when you read of all the abuses done by the priests and the Pope, or even in other denominations, you will be thinking of leaving your faith? Believe me, it's shameful. I remember reading this this um, question, and and it, you know, going back to my last answer, it, it's not about anybody else. We can't be looking outside of Jesus. If you're looking at your pastor, you're looking at your priest, you're looking at the pope, you're looking at somebody. Understand that somebody, no matter who they are, they're not perfect. They're not God. They're going to fail you. And unfortunately, you have people in positions, and everybody in this world understands this today. We have politicians that are failing us and covering up for other politicians and other things. Well, this is the same way. When we had the problem in the Catholic Church or the Jehovah Witness and all these other denominations where you found, you know, pastors or priests or so forth are, are you know, sexually molesting boys and girls, and then their higher-ups are covering it up. That's terrible. That's shameful. And we need to put our hope in Jesus. We need to put our trust in Jesus. It's not the pastors. Because if we do that and the pastors fail us, what are we going to do? Like this guy says, we leave our, our, our faith. That's very true because your faith and your hope, and you're, you're not grounded in Jesus. You're grounded in the pastor. If we go to church and listen to the pastor, oh, this is a wonderful sermon, and don't really grind get grounded in the Lord and grounded in our scripture and the pastor falls or he fails, what's going to happen to us? You know, our foundation is shattered because our foundation is now on the words of a pastor or a priest or a pope rather than the words that come out of scripture. And that is really can be devastating. And that's important that we are grounded in the scripture. Well, I think my view of that too is even with Jesus, you had... Um, with his disciples when Judas betrayed him that was an example of a personal man's failure rather than what Jesus was teaching and I think though a lot of people look at what happens in churches uh, 
for example, in the Catholic Church with a priest, and they find hypocrisy between the actions of the clergy and uh, what the Bible is teaching. So I can see there's difficulty in trying to reconcile that. And, I mean, let's just let's go to the disciples. Peter, I mean, if you read Galatians, Pete, Paul really got upset with Peter. And the reason why he got upset with Peter, because he'd hang out with his Gentile friends and Gentile people, you know, who were Christians. And he, all of a sudden the Jews would come around, what he called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were trying to force the Gentiles to be circumcised, to follow the laws, okay, that they had written out. And Peter would play both sides of the street there, and almost like, you know, it was just not a good thing. And Paul finally just said, you know, you're being a hypocrite. You can't do this. Either you, you know, you don't, they don't have to do this, and you can't suck up to one and then, and then turn down the other while you're living with the other, you know, being friending them. It's not right. And so even Peter, you know, who's an apostle of Jesus, was not perfect. And we have to look at that. It's only Jesus. God is perfect. God is holy. Jesus is the one. That's where we need to hold our foundation. Okay. Uh, this next question is a long question, has uh, several layers in it. Uh, this person says, In your message about becoming like Jesus, forgiveness, you emphasized that it is important for us not only to forgive others, but to become forgiveness like Jesus was forgiveness. I have a tremendous problem. My ex-husband was so abusive that I ended up in the hospital more than once from his abuse. In fact, he even threatened to kill me at least once. How am I supposed to forgive him and then put my life in danger again? I want to honor Jesus, but I cannot bring myself to be in his presence. Am I living in sin? And will God not forgive me if I cannot do this? Wow, this is a tough, tough situation. Um, to answer this thing about forgiveness, you have to forgive. And it doesn't matter who it is. You have to forgive. But that being said, doesn't mean that when you forgive somebody that you have to put your life in danger, okay? Um, you can find ways to forgive people, uh, but it doesn't mean you have to live with them and live around them and so forth. You can forgive them at a distance, but you have to forgive them. Um, it's just really important. Um, Jesus said that, uh, that you need to forgive others as he's forgiven us. If we don't forgive others, then the Father will not forgive us. Now, he didn't go on and say, unless the people were bad to you, mean to you, threatened you. He didn't say that. He just left it like it is. I was told by my pastor, Lon Ekdal, he says, you know, Jesus said things like this, and I don't believe he said it for his health. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I've always remembered that because I had a situation where somebody interfered with my marriage and tried to break us up and do some things that I thought were really terrible, and I couldn't forgive the guy. And um, he was way out of bounds. He was, in, he was in the clergy, you know, and yet I had to struggle for weeks about forgiving him. Well, how do I do this? I really didn't want to hang out with the guy, in which, you know, but I had to learn how to forgive somebody at a distance. Um, and not have to live with somebody. I mean, it's fine. I totally understand if your life has been threatened, if you've been abused, uh, and you have a fear of your life. And there's some very real situations. Our domestic violence, at least in the United States, is an epidemic. It's a problem. But it's also true in other countries. I mean, you have problems. Um, if you're divorced from your husband, you know, especially if there's children involved, you've got to have some kind of way to be able to handle that with children. Um, I know that there are situations you can do with self, a sheriff. A sheriff can be there to protect, you know, you from that person if you have children going in and out. But you can learn ways. Uh, my my recommendation is find somebody who who is spiritually wise that you can confide in as a mentor 
who can walk you through how to take care of situations with forgiveness so that you totally are forgiving that person. And that all being said, it's not about that person. It's about you. When you don't forgive somebody, you're harboring anger, you're harboring bitterness, and that stuff eats at you. God said these things for us because we need to have our self healthy spiritually, healthy emotionally, healthy physically. You know, we need to have this in our own right. It's hard for us to move on with with love and acceptance and trust and all these things that we need to have if we harbor unforgiveness because we're harboring bitterness if we do that. So find somebody who's a good mentor, spiritually strong, who can walk you through that without with, by keeping yourself safe at the same time. And I believe it's very possible. I've seen people do it um, all the time. I'd like to add my own two cents. Go ahead. Also, uh, seeing a Christian counselor can be a big help because they can give you the tools to help you learn how to forgive the other person. And it actually frees you uh, from that burden. Uh, I went through that myself with an ex-husband and having to learn to forgive him, uh, very much a similar dangerous situation. And it was the best decision I ever made because it set me free. And I don't have that burden anymore. Yeah. that's what I would do. And if you're in the San Antonio area, and I don't know where this question's coming from, but if you're in the San Antonio area... I had somebody on my show who's a Christian counselor. His name is Gene Benedict that I highly recommend. This is his expertise area. I mean, he deals with fractured homes and fractured lives and marriages and things like that. And I believe that someone like Gene Benedict is a perfect person to go to. I also say, want to add to what you're saying, going to Christian counselor. Just because a counselor calls himself a Christian counselor doesn't mean that they're counseling with biblical principles. If they're taught at a university is teaching clinical psychology with, your, with a Christian name. It's not necessarily biblical counseling. One thing I like about Gene is that he uses biblical counseling, um, and that is really, really important. I think churches offer counseling uh, as well as recommending appropriate Christian counselors in the community. Yeah. So, yeah, biblical counseling is great, and... Um, so there you have two avenues. You have someone who's a spiritual mentor who's wise, and then you have Christian counselors. And some of the Christian counselors, you know, if you can't afford a, a Christian, because some of these people, some of you people who have uh, left a marriage like this, you're broke. You're you're can't afford it. So well, you have some counselors who will it be a sliding scale, or they'll do it for really inexpensive. You also have the Jewish community senators have excellent counselors as well. They have the same principles as we do. And so when, when you look at your what's out there, there's a lot of help. Um, we also have uh, Shan Wiley was on our show, Every Woman Can. They have counseling and for the very same things. And I think that, you know, we can we can reach out to those organizations that will help you. And I know that, for example, with, with Every Woman Can, you know, I know that they are very biblical-based, and so, therefore, that's what you want to seek. Yeah. Okay, are we ready for the next question? We are. <laughs> this one's an easy one. How would you recommend the way to read the Bible? Well, face up and open, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Page by page, there verse by verse. <laughs> Read it in your own language. It'd be helpful, too. <laughs> now, a serious answer, because this person really would like to know. <clears throat> well, I don't recommend opening up the Bible, putting your finger in, and starting there. That's something I don't recommend, um, which I do know some people do. I do think, how do you read your Bible? I believe that when you read your Bible... You read it for not the purpose of just reading and, and saying, I read, and gee, that's nice. Um, I believe in reading it that will actually produce information that helps you walk a better walk with Jesus and a better walk with one another. 
it's got to help you uh, grow. Um, God created religion. Okay, he created religion of, of scripture, reading scripture, and putting scripture to heart to live by. He, he put religion as, as praying to him. You know, these are things that God set in motion. So these areas that God created are important for us. So if I'm going to read, for example, starting with the Old Testament, understand the Old Testament has a lot of stories. So read story by story. Don't read a whole book where you have 13 stories and you don't remember 12 of them. You know, you want to read a story, stop and reflect on it. A lot of it has to do with reflection. Uh, you don't want to just read and say, oh, that sounds nice, and then stop and read the next day and not learn anything because the Bible is about learning. We want to learn um, what, how we need to live, who we're going to live for, what we need to do in this life. You know, it's, it, the book is, is a, it's like a compass. It helps us on a path of where to go. It, gives us, it is our way of our journey to help take us on our journey. Well, I would say another way to read the Bible, everyone has the way that works best for them, but to maybe pick a topic that you want to learn about. What does Jesus say about love? And you can find all the different scriptures that relate to that topic, and you can go look them up. In fact, a lot of your study Bibles, you'll have an appendix, and you'll have topics, and you can go through topics and pick a topic you like, read through that topic, and usually when it has that topic there, it'll have scriptures to go look by, right. and some of them, like I, I have an open Bible, uh, study Bible, and it will actually have, you'll go, you'll read a passage, and you'll read a story, then it'll say, then it'll say go to this passage, and, and it follows a pathway of how to read and where to read about these topics through different scriptures throughout the Bible. And it's really kind of nice. So a recommendation would be if you don't already have a Bible uh, to go and check out different types of Bibles like the study Bibles and see which one uh, is the best fit for your style of learning. Yeah. And you, you if you're, well, I'm sure the person who, wrote this question probably has a bible but um but it's um how to read it because um, i know that people start reading they get bored and they stop or they start reading and they get into numbers and it's like you know they're lost and i tell people you know we started if you start in genesis you can skip numbers <laughs> you know um sometimes that's just that is like why did they put this well that's not for it's not for our benefit usually it's just for benefit of, of record and um, but you know there's a lot of things in there. Um, I think it's all about why do we read? And if you go to Second Timothy three sixteen, it tells us why we need to we read the Bible. And when you see why we need to read the Bible, then you can go to where we need to read it to figure out the why. So if it's for correction, it's for learning, it's for all these things, reproof. Well, what kind of things do we need to learn? And we need to learn about love, like you said. Let's find where it talks about love and read those passages and read those stories. It's not just passages that say you need to love. There are stories about love, you know, that we learn how certain people loved other people and how it related in their lives and how it relates to us. And I think that's huge. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. Uh, we have another question. If marriage is about love and respect, then how is it that we have specific responsibilities? If we show true love and respect, that should make your marriage complete. They must have watched the responsibilities in marriage I did. <clears throat> well, I almost don't know how to answer this one. Um, When you're a spouse, okay, the Bible says that you become one with your your mate, okay? So that that has a lot of significant value. You become one in several ways, okay? Um, it, it says one, one flesh. There's, you know, and people think of being one in, in different ways, whether it be mind, whether it be physical, sexual. There's all kinds of ways people talk about it, how you become one. Um, your responsibility, I believe, 
in marriage is to honor your spouse, to lift your spouse up, to respect your spouse, to love your spouse. Now, when I say love, because I know this person said, isn't love and trust enough? Is that what they said? They said if we show true love and respect, that should make the marriage complete. So I I believe it comes down to how do we define love, okay? Um, If I say love is because I feel really great about my spouse and she's wonderful because she's gorgeous, so I really love the fact that she's gorgeous. Well, that's not really love. And when we talk about biblical terms, love in a biblical term, when we talk about agapeo or agape, okay, it's about servanthood. Okay, it's giving all of me to all of to you without anything in, in, in expectation of anything in return. It's about giving what I am to you to honor you, to give to you, to serve you, to uplift you. Okay, it's to find the things that that you're lacking to become that for you, so that you will not you're not lacking. Um, marriage is not a fifty-fifty deal. It's, it's 100%. It's 100-100. You give 100%. If you're only giving 50% and you're expecting your spouse to fill in 50%, you're, you're on the wrong track. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to feel like you're being taken for granted. What about you? Well, I'm not going to give to you until you give to me. It gets to be really hard. But if you're giving 100% of yourself, you're not worrying about what your spouse is giving. And when your spouse cannot give, you're not feeling that they, you know, they're not giving because you're giving what you're supposed to you're, and you believe and feel like what you're giving is, is everything and that's what's important. So when you're giving without expectation of return, when you're giving because you want to serve your spouse, then, then that's you know, important. I mean, there's something that I have always felt and you can identify or check that off for me on camera, but I know that a, that I won't ask Susan to do stuff for me that I know that I could do for myself. You know, I won't go and say, you know, oh, go get this for me. Oh, go get that for me. Like, I've I've seen husbands sit on a couch and there will be a a remote control on the TV and they'll call their wife over out from the other room into that room. Hey, can you go hand me the remote? I mean, how lazy can you get? You know, but I don't believe in doing stuff like that. You know, you do what you can. Now, if you, like, there's times like now, I mean, i got a knee that's killing me. Hi, can you go get some ice for me? Why why can't you go down? Because when I go down the stairs, it hurts my knee. Well, that's different. You know, you ask because of. And I think that that's, that's almost something mutual that Susan and I both have, that we, we, we are like that. So responsibility comes in love if love is what you have in servanthood for your spouse. Trust is nothing, I believe, that you, you have it just because you get married. It's something that you've earned. I earn your trust by doing for you out of love that shows you that I am your servant, that I am your lover, that I am somebody who gives to you. That earns trust. You know, earning trust is, you know, and, and today's day and age, you have a lot of Mixed homes, uh, what do they call that? Uh, blended families. Blended families. And you, know, you have kids from these both families coming in or one or both coming in. And so one of the things I always tell, especially with blended families, is that you're, the Bible never says that you are one with your children. It says you're one with your spouse. And when you remarry, it's important to understand that because you're trying to establish what is godly, you know, and that's really important. So, yes, there's responsibilities. Responsibility and love isn't just because you put a roof over your wife's head, you have sex with her, and you bring home the bacon. That's not necessarily love. That's biblical love. That's just a, a modern-day love, you know, and, and same thing with a wife. A wife's love isn't just because she makes dinner and cleans the kitchen. That's ridiculous. Those things are just things we do for each other that we decide that what we're going to have as a, as a couple. But what's real is the responsibility of uplifting your spouse, serving your spouse, giving of yourself to your spouse on both sides of the coin. Well, one of the ways I would look about the answering this question is if the love and respect is already there, then the responsibilities 
come from your heart. They aren't a burden or an obligation. And uh, so I think that is what is the difference. And, and I don't know about all of the world, and I know we're talking to parts of the world that are arranged marriages. I, I know this because we're going into the world, country of India and, and other places like that where they have arranged marriages still. And um, I don't know much about where I am in the Middle East with this show, but if you're not in an arranged marriage situation, you fall in love, you meet each other, and you do things, and you decide we're going to get married, it's important you understand before you ever say I do that the person that you're going to marry is already treating you with those those responsibilities, those that respect, and that you see that they treat their parents the same way. Because I guarantee you, if you're a guy and you're watching the girl you're going to marry or you're a girl watching the guy you're going to marry and they treat their mother or father with disrespect, trust me, they're going to treat you with disrespect. You know, you can't just say, oh, that, that's just their parents. No, that's just a habit they have. They've got to clean that up. They're, if they aren't honoring their parents, then they're not honoring God. And if they're not going to honor their parents or not honor God, what makes you think they're going to honor you just because, you know, you're infatuated with each other? That goes away pretty quick. So we need to be careful of that. We need to honor God in all things. And you need to be, you have to have your eyes wide open. A lot of people don't get, have their eyes wide open when they get into marriage. I think this is why we have so many divorces around the world. You know, when I'm looking at Moldova, and they have such a high divorce rate, well, they're raised by grandparents or uncles or aunts or orphanages where they don't see a mother and father interact and so forth. So there, there's a lot of problems there. We have the same problem in the United States. We have so many children that are raised by one parent, or one parent is gone all the time. They get married not knowing how to be a spouse. And so we have disruption in, in divorces that are rampant. And so responsibility comes, I think, even before you get married to see this, not just with one another, but like I said, how do they treat their parents? When I was, um, uh, well, before we married, I knew that you honored, you know, your mom and dad. I mean, it was just, you know, obvious. So um, that, was a, that was a checkpoint for me, you know, and I think that's important for all of us to understand that. Well, I hope that answered uh, the viewer's question. I hope so, too. It was long. <laughs> okay. Our next question. Uh, this is one I'm sure many people have uh, questions about. What do you think about healers and TV preachers who profit and get rich from their ministries? Oh, do we really want me to talk about that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Well, it, you know, and I don't know how to express this, but... From my heart to, to all of you, I have such a respect for ministry of the highest regard. I believe to the point where if your life isn't right, you shouldn't be in ministry. If you're married to somebody and their life isn't right, you shouldn't be in ministry. So I, I take it to the other level of that, you know what, you need to have it right. You're there re representing Jesus to a level that people are looking up to you. So when we get into these other areas like uh, healers or, or so forth, and they're charging astronomical amount of money, you know, for healing or for their services, you know, what makes that a godly thing? Everybody has to eat. I understand. Pastors need to have a place to live and food to eat and, you know, under, and they have to have you know, when they get older, they need to be taken care of. Same thing with these healers and TV evangelists. But, you know, is there, is there a point where when we're making 10, 15, 20, 30 million dollars a year, is that really what we're there for? Um, I mentioned this once before that one of the most incredible things that I noticed that I love about Moldova, and this might be true, I mean, uh, when, I, when we had John David on our show and he talked about Peru, same kind of thing. When you're looking at real ministry, you're looking at people's hearts that's more concerned about the people they're ministering to instead of their pocketbook, instead of the mansions they live in or the, or the Lear jets they fly in or the $2,500 room per night hotels they stay in when they travel. 
So it's all about the people they minister to. Anyway, KBC Ministries, you know, in Moldova, it's run by Eugene and uh, Sergei. And uh, they have a camp there. And in at their camp, they run um, a team teens that go there, they do something that's pretty incredible. I think, I believe they charge something like $75 for a person. I think it covers the cost is what it does. But if they have somebody in their church, a teenager, it says, they'll say to these teenagers, if you bring five people, maybe it's $25, I'm not sure which it is, but if you bring five people to camp who do not go to church, you get to go free. So they're covering their costs. Their kids are going free. 75% of the teenagers that go to camp are not Christians. Guess what they're doing? They're trying to win these kids to Jesus. They're trying to build foundations for them for their spiritual life. Here in the United States, camps are 450 bucks to go play in, on slides and, and swing from trees. you know. And, and there's lots of profit built into this. So I have a real problem with the money-making part of, of this. So when we go to, uh, I think it was 2020 or Nightline did a show five or six years ago, maybe more, on some of these healers. And they found one guy where his wife was out there with a little microphone, and he had a little earpiece, and she's talking to people. And he started saying, God has told me some guy in a yellow shirt out there has diabetes and this and this and that. And the guy, oh, that's me, oh. And not realizing it was his wife that found out the information while he talked into his ear. And he's claiming that God did, told him. You know, of course, a lot of us think that, you know, our, God speaks for our wives. So, you know, it's. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> But I think that we need to be careful, and we need to, you know, I believe God has, Holy Spirit has given the gift of healing of some. I really do believe that. I have no doubt that the spiritual gifts are alive and will always be alive until the return of Jesus. I totally believe that. However, if we're going to, you know, get into this and start to milk it and be rich off of it, well, then we have a real problem with the Holy Spirit. I think you can also show some examples of well-known preachers who do their ministry without overly profiting, like uh, Billy Graham and his ministries, as opposed to, say, some of the ones, the name-it-and-claim-it preachers, who it seems their riches are as important or more important than what they're trying to do with ministry. Yeah, and, you know, and this isn't true with his son, but one of the things I liked about Billy Graham is you never got a letter asking for money. You never saw him stopping in the middle of his sermon to go on TV to say, please send me money. He never, ever, ever did that. He figured God will, God will supply. Now, his son does ask for money. Now, I, I really don't, don't think that's bad, but I'm just saying that God blessed Billy Graham to the extent that, that he did, I think primarily because he was all about ministry. Well, and I think that the blessings that people have from true ministry without regard to profit probably flourish more. And I think there's going to be a real reckoning for some of the others whose motives are more financial yeah. than they are ministry. And and I don't, I don't need to mention it. We've been careful about how the names we mention, but there's a pastor on the in California that has made enough money for him to live on, and now he gives 90% of all of his money, his profits and everything from his books and ministry back into the church, back to God. 90% he gives because he said he's made enough. He doesn't need more. That's honorable. Right. And I think God is going to bless that. Well, he knows the motives of their heart, and it's not really for us to judge, but you want to be careful. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. I mean, it's just, it's so important. I do this ministry because I have a burden that people understand that the Word of God is so important that we learn it, we we have it in our lives, we live it. And uh, my calling isn't to go out and knock on doors and win people to Jesus. And I talked about this when Ken Freeman was on my show. That's where he does this. He, he goes out and wins people. I'm the guy when people are in 
the walls. They've come to Jesus. Now I'm the guy to teach you. Here's how you walk it. So that's where I'm at. I'm, and I have such a burden for that, that in this show alone, I am not trying to find sponsors to sponsor me so I have a, a, an income. I only get sponsors so I can afford to um, have this show be uh, broadcast. That's all I really care because I want to reach out to people and let people know that it's important that we are grounded and we have a foundation in Jesus and we are on this journey together that we live for him. Um, I mean, would I like more money? Absolutely. Everybody does to a, to a certain extent. But when it becomes your your primary, you know, focus, well, then you're then you got a major major problem. One one will probably be idolatry. Right. So it's the motive of the heart, and God knows what one's heart is. Well, yeah, and once anything becomes, and in the first commandment, and it's important we understand this. Even Paul in the New Testament talked a lot about. It. He had those lists: don't do this or this or this or this or that. And the very end, he says, because it could lead to idolatry. Think about that. That's New Testament. Old Testament, you know, I have no other gods before me. Idolatry. So you want to be careful about idolatry. If something becomes more important to you than what God is to you, that's idolatry. If money is more important to you than God is to you, you know, and the way you, it isn't by the, the mouth that that's true. It's by your lifestyle. And you'll, you'll show that. If that happens, you're living in idolatry. Well, we have another question about reading the Bible. Another one. Uh, this uh, viewer said, you said you don't read your Bible every day. Isn't that blasphemy? I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the hot seat. Well, my last show, I did say that. And, you know, when I was young, I would when I was a, a, I was in the teens and and I noticed this in the Nazarene Church and I noticed this in the Southern Baptist Church and there's probably other denominations that do this or have done this where they have their kids and they could be from ages five and up you know in the elementary in, in high school and they would have these contests in the church in their district in their region and nationally of memorizing scripture okay. And they would, and, and my nephew, uh, Daniel, I mean, he was one, he was in that group. He would memorize the scripture. Uh, Ryan was in there too, in the Baptist church. He would memorize the scripture. But what happened was, you memorize the stuff, and you gain, and you become, you get medals or whatever it is you, you win to go to the next, you know, section. But then when you ask them, what does the scripture mean? Well, I don't know. But they can, they can quote it to you. So I learned young that I never wanted to read the Bible and then think that's okay, then read it again the next day, a different passage and a different one, and never learn what I read the first day. So what I do personally, and I'm not telling you this is how you need to do it. I mean, to have the daily bread is wonderful. But I truly believe if you're going to read something like that where you have a daily reading, that you don't just think that's wonderful, but learn from it. So when I read a passage, and usually I don't read a one-liner, you know, verse. I usually read a passage. When, when I read a passage, I mull it over. I look at it, and I'm always wondering, God, what do you want to teach me in this passage? And if I believe or I feel like I have not learned what God wants me to learn from this, I will not go to a new passage the next day. I will either reread it or I will think about it through the next day. Okay, God, and as I go through my day, I'm conscious about what I read the day before and still look for God's leading for that passage so that I'll learn from it. So, no, I don't read the Bible every single day, but there are days I'll read it for two or three hours. Because I'm looking up what things mean. I'll go to commentaries. I'll go to other things. I'll pray about it. And I'll look at it. So it's not the everyday thing I think it's important that we, that's important to read. It's what we read are we learning. I don't want to read the Bible just to read it. I want to read it so I can learn from it. So in other words, you're not going to have it as something on a list to check off like going to church service on Sundays. Yeah. I, mean, I think some people may do that with the Bible. It's 
I'm a Christian, so I read the Bible every day, and check mark. I go to church on Sunday, check mark. And then I live however I want the rest of the time, but I've checked off those two things. You know, it says that we need to hide God's word in our heart. If you read a passage and you move on to another passage and move on to another passage, what have you really hidden in your heart? I mean, did you, even if you remembered what you read, did you know what it meant? If you don't, want it, don't know what it, the passage means when you read it, then how are you hiding it in your heart? How, in other words, in your being, how are you living that in your life is what it means to say you hide it in your heart. You remember it, you have it, you live it. And if you're not learning it, it's hard to live it. So in other words, it's not just something that you do on a daily basis because you feel you have to. You do it in a meaningful way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, people, yeah. We're told, read your Bible every day. Go to church every week. Or some churches go to church every three days a week. Or Catholic church, go to church every day. You know, so it depends on what it is. But if you're just going to check it off, I mean, what's the point? Exactly. What's the purpose? I mean, God's, gonna, God's wanting us to walk on this journey to become like him. Not that we just check off a list and, and go on through our day. So, I mean, people, there's people that don't read their Bible at all. They'll listen to a pastor and think that's great. And pastors are infallible. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, they're fallible. <laughs> <laughs> maybe some think they're infallible. <laughs> that's Maybe that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but, but we've got to understand, not everything that pastors or teachers, when I teach a class and even in this thing, I tell people, look it up in this, the Bible. Why do I get these questions? Because people are saying, wait a minute, I heard it differently. They're questioning me because if, if I'm saying something that they have been taught differently, I want them to question me. I don't want to be – I have people in my class that I teach that will raise their hands. I don't quite agree with you on this point because and they'll give the reason or I don't agree with you but I'm going to have to study and find out why so it's important that teachers and pastors open it to their people that are teaching to say you know what you need to search the scriptures to make sure what I'm teaching you is correct and I think that's so important and when you read the scriptures understand you're reading it so that you will learn from it you'll become uh, that which Jesus wants to uh, teach us by what we read, not just by what we check off. I don't know if that made sense. Well, if you get more questions, we'll know. <laughs> uh, the next question is, when Jesus saves us from our sins, doesn't Jesus forgive us from the sins that are done to other people in the past? I'm not sure I know where this question was going, but... Read it one more time. Okay. When Jesus saves us from our sins, doesn't Jesus forgive us from the sins that are done to other people in the past? Well, yes. If, I, if I'm understanding that question right, I, I know there's a lot of people who believe that when, when God forgives me, that means he forgives me of everything, all my past sins, and therefore... There's a thinking and a teaching. Well, I don't know if it's a teaching, but there's a thinking that if God forgave me of all my sins that I've ever committed, that means that I don't have to go to you and ask for forgiveness from you because God already forgave me for what I did to you. I, that sounds like what that question is asking. Yeah, it's hard to know. It's if that's the truth, if that's what that question is saying, I truly believe that, yes, he forgives you, but you have a responsibility for those that you have injured and hurt to ask forgiveness from them. Because, you know, your life is a testimony. And your life is a testimony to Jesus that you are, uh, in fact, becoming like and living for Jesus. You're like a, a Bible to those people. You're Jesus to people who um, are searching and who are also in the fold. So you need to represent that. If you feel like it's okay that, you know, you hurt people and did things to people and that Jesus forgave you so you don't have to worry about those other people. It's not about you. Like I said earlier in that other question, you know, forgiveness isn't about, you know, them. It's about you. 
and your character is on the line. And so if you can't show good character in going to others, you know, to reconcile your differences and problems, then you have a problem up front. And, and the Bible teaches, in fact, back to um, Celebrate Recovery or AA and those things like that. I mean, they have those uh, 12 steps. One of those steps is to go back to other people that you've hurt in the past and making it right. You know, it may not become right because the other person may not receive it, but you have to make that effort. And that's part of a biblical teaching is that we need to reconcile those things. Uh, I know, I don't know if I've told this story before, but in my life, when I became a Christian, I was 16 years old and I was 17 at the time or 18 and living with Lon Ekdahl, living with the pastor. And I told him I felt guilty or I felt something wrong about some of the things I did. Like I used to go in this restaurant and when I was younger and I'd, you know, walk out with a check every day. I went almost every single day of the year. And I felt like, you know, wow, I feel really bad about this. And so he Lon told me, he says, Hey, well you need the Bible teaches that you need to reconcile these things. You need a re- restitution, he called it. So we need to have this restitution. And so I said, Well, that's a lot of money. I could go to jail. He says, You could but that's a risk you have to take to honor God. Well, you might want to add in that you didn't have money to buy a meal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably did, but didn't have a lot. But regardless, it's not right. To, just because you don't no, have the money, you don't not, go and steal. Yeah. So I went ahead and went there. It was so funny. The story goes, um, I went ahead and went there to the manager, and he was blown away. Like, you know, what are you talking to me for about this? And he says, well, I, I want to pay you back. And he says, well, you need to write the go to the head office. He gave me their phone number. I called him. He gave me the address. I wrote a letter. And the vice president of, uh, of the restaurant, it was Bob's big boy, wrote me back and, and said, you know, he was impressed by my turning of life to, to Jesus and becoming what I am. And he went on and on and on. And finally he says, you know, there's no way to, to figure out what this or that. So basically don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And God bless you in, in future of your life. So I like, I was so worried but I saw that in this thing, not a change or restitution I made, it didn't just help me in that. It helped me in my testimony for the rest of my life. For several years, I was able to stand up and say, this here is what you know, God convicted me of and what I did to satisfy God in my wrongdoing and how God blessed me in that situation and many others. Well, it also shows you how the Bible shows you the path. Yeah. So forgiving, forgiving things which you've done in the past is so important. It really, really is. It helps your, helps your journey, helps your walk with Jesus. Okay, we have one last question. We're going to get to them all today. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, this last question, uh, the viewer asks, You have said that the law is what God gave to his people to have a relationship with him and other people. But I have been taught that the law cannot save you. Please explain. <clears throat> okay, let's start off from before the law. Before the law, we have God. God is a God of relationship. We understand that because of several things. Number one, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he created Adam and Adam and Eve, it says that he walked with him in the cool of the evening. Well, you don't walk with God and have this thing going on if it's not a relationship. God didn't say, oh, here's a set of rules, Adam, and, and goodbye. He, he developed this relationship. And he did that with his own kids, with Abel and Cain. You know, when Cain was angry because of his uh, offering wasn't accepted, God went to Cain and said, hey, I see you're really angry. You're really upset. You need to be careful of your anger because if you don't get it under control, you're going to do something that you're not going to like, which ends up he kills his brother anyway and so forth. So God is a God of relationship. We see that in the writings of David. We see that in the life of Joseph. We see that with Daniel. We see that all through the Old Testament. And you see Jesus in the New Testament all about relationship. Okay. Jesus said that I came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. That's a huge statement, okay? Now, let's go back to the Old Testament. 
when God gave the Ten Commandments, here's our first set of laws, okay? He gave the Ten Commandments to Moses to give to the children of Israel. Those commandments represent the relationship that his people are supposed to have and live by with God and with each other. So the first four commandments were all about honoring God, living for God, serving God, and and so forth in this relationship. And the last six commandments had to do with working with one another, living with one another, and how to deal and do things with one another. So it was a premise. They came out of Egypt a place they were under oppression, the place where they were really treated badly and where they had multiple gods and serving in ways, you know, and living in ways that were really poor, really bad for life. And, and it's almost like there was no liberty in, in, in Egypt because there was no set standard. So God put a standard there how to live by. And then there were laws upon laws. And we have civil laws. We have, you know, ceremonial laws and so forth. And... Many of these laws that are written in there, because a lot of Christians don't read the Old Testament and they don't read about the laws. The laws represent how do we live with one another. For example, it says if a guy gets a girl pregnant, in the laws, if guys get a girl pregnant and has a child, that guy, you know, is responsible for the welfare of that child. In other words, child support. Hello, we have the same laws today. Mm-hmm. Now, is that a law like it's a legalistic thing? Well, not really. It's about relationship and taking care of your responsibilities. And there's a lot of laws like that. So when we look at that, we're looking at laws that have to do with relationship. Now, doing these things, does that save you? Absolutely not. Okay? But it was, it was a way to live in respect to your relationship. What constitutes that relationship? It teaches that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Number one, that we live a holy life. Okay, we live a life of righteousness, we live a life of obedience, and a life of faith. And it teaches that in the Old Testament, it teaches that in the New Testament. This is foundational. Okay, so if this is foundational, Old Testament and New Testament, we're talking about a relationship. What do the laws do? The laws help us to, to work with us so that we keep our lives straight and we grow in the relationship. It's something to help us grow in the relationship. Now, there are some laws that we don't need to follow any longer because Jesus is taking care of those, like ceremonial laws, certain laws that we don't need to worry about um, any longer. But the many of them we do. I'm sure if we say we don't have to follow the law anymore, well, does that mean that, you know, well, it says thou shalt not murder. It's okay to murder because the Old Testament is no, te- no longer the Old Testament. That's hogwash. We still need to follow those because the Old Testament doesn't mean it's old and out of date. It just means it's the continuation of, with the New Testament. So we have to follow them. Again, it doesn't save us, but it's important that we follow them because it gives us character. It builds character in our lives so for our relationship with God and with other believers. And it's so important to understand that the laws are there to build character. The laws are there to help guide us in the relationship that we have in that faith that we give, that we live by, that has given us salvation because of what God has done for us. I think that's a good explanation. And I don't see anywhere where you have conveyed that the law has anything to do with saving you. It just puts the order into how you live on earth. And it's a guidebook. But, you know, you're saved through God. Not in Jesus, not through any laws. Well, you know, and Paul, Paul talks, you know, during the time of Jesus and Paul, and probably before that, the law was perverted badly. It, today, it, it's carried over today. The laws are perverted badly. And, and Paul represented the fact that it was bad. And Jesus had a struggle because of it was bad. And he tried to show how, when it, you know, about the laws and how that was corrupt and, and wrong. It was just written badly. I mean, we understand that today because people have taken our Constitution and we have guys in Congress that, that have re- rewritten it, basically, and it's bad. So there's lots of things like that we have to understand. But the law perverted, if we go back to the beginning, we understand the law represents relationship. Relationship has already been established doesn't bring us that relationship. 
it brings us into the understanding of how we need to live with one another. There's questions today. Gee, I'm a Christian now. How do I live for Jesus? Well, hello, read the Bible. The Bible talks about, in the laws, about representing yourself as a believer in honoring Jesus, honoring God, honoring one another. That's law. Jesus, I give you a new commandment, law, that you love one another, about relationship. And we have to understand God is about relationship, always has been, always will be. And that's where we've had that disconnect in the New Testament era that we tend to push it away like the law is old, it's no good, we're all about grace. No, it's because we're not taught about the law being the fact that it's part of that whole relationship function that we have with God. Well, I think we got through all the questions, and now we'll wait for the new questions based on your answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that answered all the questions. If, and if I didn't answer something, you know, all the way, or you have more questions, just feel free to write and uh, write me, and um, and I'll be glad to answer them. Um, so, well, that's our show today. I thank you for coming and asking the questions and giving your your it was comments. My and uh, so everybody you have a wonderful week we'll see you next Wednesday and, and thank you for joining us today on the, the Believer's Journey Aloha Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the word of God in a clear and practical manner for more information please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com